Well, when a fellow preaches on what does a faithful Christian look like on Sunday morning, you might wonder how will he follow that up. And the way we'll follow it up will be music to your ears. What does a faithful preacher look like? What does a faithful preacher look like? Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. There are only 12 major points in this particular lesson tonight, so the gasp and the look of concern will cause me to preach only six from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And then 11 through 16, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday evening. If you were asked... If you were asked to draw up a job description for Adam and me, it would be interesting to see what that would look like. I do know this. I know this from experience. No two of them would be exactly the same. And as much as I love our shepherds, Lynn and Terry, if they were asked to draw up a job description for Adam and me, I don't believe their job description would be exactly the same as one another's either. Preachers need to be most concerned about preaching in a way that pleases the Lord. Preachers need to be most concerned about living in a way that pleases the Lord. Then, at least most of the people who love the Lord and who love His will will be pleased, even if, like a little bit east of here, there's still going to be a few old sore heads to be seen here and there. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 1.5 while keeping your finger at 1, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul through the Spirit would say, Our gospel did not come to you in word only. The Greek term is lagos. Word only, the message, it has to do with the reason and the development of the message of God. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, as powerful as the word is. Keep looking at 1 Thessalonians 1.5. The word must be proclaimed. The gospel must be proclaimed, no question. But it came... How? In power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much conviction or assurance. The Greek term is pathos. It has to do with the feeling and the emotional features that are just part of the theme that we are dealing with. In other words, it really ought to be impossible for a preacher to proclaim the message of God with no feeling whatsoever. It doesn't make sense. Paul talks about this idea of feeling, pathos. 
Now notice, finally, there's the idea of ethos, E-T-H-O-S, ethics, character, integrity. As you know what manner of men we were among you. James, you think about preaching sometimes. Well, God's man must be a man of the word, must be a man of appropriate emotion and feeling, and God's man must be a man of ethics and character and integrity. I find that brethren are willing to forgive a lot of preacher flaws if they sincerely believe that we want to proclaim the word and to do so with appropriate feeling and zeal and to do so with character and conviction. I have known many preachers and have studied a lot about preaching but I have never seen a preacher that didn't have feet of clay. I have never seen a man who perfectly lived his message, even though I've seen some wonderful and godly men. What I would say is this. Continue to love your preacher if you really believe that person to be a man of the word, a man of feeling and emotion, and a man of conviction and integrity. But realize those of us who preach all can be better. We all have rough parts, rough edges that perhaps over time God will smooth out. And we as preachers ask you to pray for us often. We get to handle what is holy and beautiful every week, even though sometimes we are not as holy and as preciously beautiful as we ought to be ourselves. Pray for us. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Six priorities of every faithful gospel preacher. Whether one realizes it or articulates it as Paul does, I want you to know God gives a preacher's job description in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And one would do well. I have never heard of a congregation looking for a preacher that based the qualifications of the man who would preach for them on the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 4. But I tell you what, it might be a lot better than some of the search committees and things like that that we come up with. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, note the verses 6. A good preacher desires to be just that. A good minister. If you put the brethren in mind of these things, you will be a good minister. Nourished up in the words of the faith and the doctrine, whereunto you've attained, that you've followed... The doctrine that you followed. Faithful preachers deeply desire to be a good servant. The word good, noble, useful. 
It's a great word. 1 Timothy 3.1, if a man desires to be an elder, he desires a good work. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of life eternal, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. War the good warfare, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. To be a good servant. A preacher is not the pastor. Congregations that are scripturally organized are to have a plurality of shepherds or elders. Acts 14, 23 and Acts 20 and verse 17. A preacher ought to desire to be a good servant. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 9. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for His sake. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. The desire is to be a good servant. In speaking with the lost, in making visits to those who are sick or sorrowing, and doing funerals and weddings and performing baptisms and praying to be a good servant. That should be our desire. Number two, a faithful gospel preacher desires this. It's part of his job description given to him in 1 Timothy chapter 4 by the Holy Spirit himself through the Apostle Paul. He desires to be a good servant. You know, I'll tell you what. You really want to try to be a good servant, work with people who sometimes will treat you like a slave. Ladies, you know what it's like to kind of feel like a slave sometimes in your own house? Sometimes preachers can feel that way, but we ought not because when the service to God is shared, it's a lot more healthy for everybody. Number two, the priority of a faithful preacher. Notice again verse 6, if you put the brethren in mind of these things, what things? Particularly the things he has been writing about in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, which have to do with this, warning brethren of error. A faithful gospel preacher warns people of error. While in a very real sense we are there to hug and care for the sheep, it's not just about patting sheep's head, it's about protecting the flock. And it's about feeding the people in the pew with God's word to such a degree that they can grow and stand up to the ways of Satan even better themselves by God's help. So you care about the people and want to encourage and comfort on the one hand, but you protect from what is sinful and what is false on the other. Notice to whom what is false is attributed in 1 Timothy 4. One and following, first of all, to Satan, seducing spirits and the doctrines of demons. Secondly, 
attributed to those who are liars. There are those who deliberately are deceitful with the ways of God. Those who are hypocritical. Those who deny what the Word of God plainly says. Forbidding marriage and the eating of meats. Both of which are plainly declared by God to be good. This is called apostasy. And it is a departure from the faith. One of the things faithful gospel preachers do is warn the brethren of error. It is not our sole thing, but it is an important aspect. I like to put it this way. A faithful gospel preacher has a lot of clubs in his, in his golf bag. He doesn't use the warn the brethren of error club for every single stroke. And if it's the only club in the guy's bag, he needs to repent and get his act together. Can I get an amen? Some people haven't heard a lesson on encouragement or heaven or grace of God or something like that, and who knows when. People need those lessons too. But this is an important club that must be used if you're following the illustration because God says so. Brethren need to be warned of things that can jeopardize their souls. That brings me to another area. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look, if you will, at verse 6. A faithful preacher, and this is number three, excels as a student of Scripture. You won't be a faithful preacher, James. Excel as a student of Scripture. Right now, start doing it. Devote your life to it. Nourished up in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayer was said of the early church, Acts 2.42. And so do faithful preachers. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. An excellent student of Scripture. When preachers bleed... We ought to bleed Bible because we've saturated ourselves with the message. Excellent student of Scripture. That'll cause you to study more and to think more. And you know, here's where, what does a faithful Christian look like? Well, a preacher ought to be a faithful Christian, amen? Or at least seek to be, desire to be. And that has to do with a commitment to loving and getting into his word. 2 Timothy 2.15 Jesus answered Satan in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted from the book of Deuteronomy. If your salvation and mine depended on a knowledge of, our, of the book of Deuteronomy, how well would you do? 
Jesus commonly said, have you not read? I suspect he says that to me sometimes. Faithful preachers are excellent students of Scripture. Number four. Faithful preachers avoid the influence of the unholy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Worldly babblings, unholy, irreverent myths. Avoid the influence of the unholy. Faithful preachers seek to do that. And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves about our speech. Is our speech holy? Let no corrupt speech, unholy speech, proceed out of your mouth, but such is useful to edification, that it might minister grace to the hearers, Ephesians 4.29. Our actions are to be actions of holiness, perfecting holiness in the sight of God, 2 Corinthians 6.14 through chapter 7 and verse 1. To be holy, even as he who called us is holy, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. I want you to understand that spiritual men, gospel preachers, ought to use scriptural methods to grow. To grow closer to God. And the unholy does not help us to do those things. Holiness does. That doesn't mean a preacher can't have a good time. That doesn't mean a preacher can't be silly. Lord knows enough has happened to me since I preached my first sermon at age 13. Enough has happened to me with people in the church I've had plenty to laugh about. Even here, I remember a guy who got up and said... Our closing prayer will be led by Fidel Castro at a time when we had an elder named Fidel Casada. That's just one of many things. I remember a certain preacher here making an announcement and two brothers over here fell out of their pews laughing so hard about two people who were still yet alive, though in a nursing home, a husband and a wife. He said that they were in a funeral home. And I'd never seen Carl and Danny fall out of the pews. So we say and do funny things, don't we, as preachers? But we get to see and hear funny things, too. And there's a place for humor among God's people. A merry heart does good like medicine, Proverbs 17, 22. And I can't tell you how many times brethren have made me laugh and encouraged me when I needed to laugh and be encouraged. So thank you. That was number four, wasn't it? Avoids the influence of the unholy. Now, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 9. Faithful preachers exercise themselves to godliness. It's right there in the text. Training. You know, on a day like today when it's so hot, I think about people that are working outside. 
I think about people that are involved in sporting activities. I think about people that play football and they're wearing pads just about the time that uh, schools are supposed to start back. I think about the, the heat. They are training. They are training for their particular jobs or sports. But preachers in particular are training and disciplining themselves to godliness. Godliness is found at least 15 times in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Books written to younger preachers by the Apostle Paul, especially. Training to godliness. Discipline yourself. Intense training. Never quit training. That's what's being said to preachers. Now, notice this one, verse 10. A faithful preacher stresses the priority of hard work. Oh, I know all the jokes about preachers. But I'll tell you this, any of you that want to follow Adam and me for a week are welcome to. Because preaching can be very hard and difficult. It's work. For this cause we labor and strive. The word labor is a word that carries with it toiling to the time that you are just exhausted. And the word strive carries with it, the, it's the Greek word agonizomai. I am absolutely fried. I am so tired. When you deal with things pertaining to eternity, there is a mental fatigue, a spiritual fatigue that is hard to talk about. For years in my family, on Sunday nights, I don't know if Mike is this way, your dad, Michaela, but on Sunday nights, I'm pooped. I am really tired. And I don't make any big decisions on Sunday nights. I don't make any big decisions on Mondays. I really try not to. Until sometime Monday afternoon, maybe. Because it takes a while to recover. And one of the things I've noticed, Lynn, as I'm getting older now as a preacher, is it takes more time to recover. I value pace. You know, Mike, Mike can still get up with some energy. Mike can still get after it. But I want you to know that I pay a price. And Cherie and my family see it. Thank you for allowing me the privilege of being a preacher here at Westside. 
and for preaching for you all this time. I think I still got a little bit more in my tank and the elders have been gracious enough to say, that's all right, we're glad to hear it. I've mentioned to Adam a couple of times, I think I got a little bit more in my tank and Adam's always been gracious and said, man, I'm glad to hear that. We like working with you. It's been a super working with Adam. But we need to think about the priorities of faithful preaching. And when you get to know these things are really true about men who love God and love you, who love his word, you'll continue to do what you've done here at Westside so long and so well. You'll encourage us and hold up our hands as we try to do God's work. And you'll forgive a lot of things in us as we try to grow ourselves. Let us pray. God, you are good. Your only son was a preacher. And he is our role model in ministry. He is a role model that none of us who preach can never fully reach. And we are glad because that will make us humble and cause us to ever desire to love and trust Jesus to work in us and in our ministries as we preach and teach the word. God, thank you for the sacrifices that a preacher's family makes because they love you. And they love a husband or dad who's preaching. I am thankful for the sacrifices that Shuri and David and Karen over the years willingly made as I was away from home visiting people here, doing other ministries. I know Adam feels the same way about Julie and the boys. Thank you for the support of a family that loves you. More broadly, God, thank you for the support and encouragement of the church here at Westside. Adam and I could not do the things that we do or take advantage of some of the opportunities that we have were it not for the gracious, generous nature of the church here and especially the shepherds, Lynn and Terry. Thank you that preaching the word changes people's lives. And while we are merely servants and not the source of salvation, we're servants of the one who is the source of salvation. We're a mouthpiece and not the message. Those of us who preach rejoice in every small way that we can have a part in influencing a person's eternity with you. Forgive us our flaws, forgive us our sins, forgive us of our pride, and may every day bring us closer to you as preachers, as ministers, as members of the body of Christ. Because every day brings us one day closer to home.
In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. Since the sermon was for preachers, I have asked for your prayers. I think Adam would say, we'd like your prayers. Please pray for us. But let's get up and stand and sing the song of encouragement. Perhaps one here wants to come to Christ and become his child tonight. Let's stand and sing.